In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It has become a tradition now here at St. Mary's to have these Lenten retreats and to have them specifically on these two Saturdays, the Saturday before the third Sunday of Lent and the Saturday before the fourth Sunday. Both of these Saturdays are very well suited to a spiritual retreat. This year, the women's retreat takes place after this mass of the prodigal son, whereas the retreat for the men next Saturday will be the Saturday of the woman taken in adultery. Perhaps next year we will switch the retreats so that we can change the theme slightly for each of these groups. On both of these Saturdays, however, we have an amazing juxtaposition of two passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Today, it is the story of Jacob and Esau, these two brothers, these two sons, that is juxtaposed with the two sons of the parable of the New Testament. Whereas next Saturday, it will be the story of the virtuous Susanna, falsely accused of adultery in the Old Testament, which will be paralleled with the woman taken in adultery in the New Testament, but forgiven by our Lord. As in past years, I have added to the Mass today, there's the possibility to add a collect to the Mass, the prayer for the gift of tears. And the collect of those prayers is Almighty and Most Gentle God, who didst cause a fountain of living water to gush from the rock in order to quench the thirst of thy people, draw from our hardened hearts tears of compunction, that we may be able to mourn for our sins and merit their forgiveness from thy mercy through Christ our Lord. There are two primary spiritual senses which we may take in hearing the epistle and the gospel for today. Clearly, Holy Mother Church has placed these two passages of the Bible together for a reason. One reason, very well expounded by the fathers, is that The story of Jacob and Esau is to be seen as an allegory, and in fact, the story of the prodigal son as well, an allegory for the Old and New Testaments, this theme which we find throughout then. Because of Jacob's actions in taking his brother's birthright and supplanting it, and thus living up to his namesake, the name Jacob means supplanter, He then inherits all the blessings of Isaac and Abraham. And it is thus from his line, the line of Jacob, the line of Israel, for that is the new name given to him by the angel, we have the chosen people who will bring forth one day the Redeemer of the world. This, though, is juxtaposed with these two sons in the New Testament, where we have this older brother, who is faithful 
and this younger brother who says to his father, give me all of my inheritance now. I want to spend it. And his father grants his wish, and then he goes off and wastes everything, and then finally returns, and his father lovingly welcomes him back. When we tell the story that succinctly, we understand a bit the perspective of the older brother, who is resentful. And this, of course, represents the Old Testament. The Jewish people are resentful that now the nations who have spent so many long ages wasting themselves in all kinds of unspeakable sins and idolatry should now be welcomed into the the kingdom of God right alongside the chosen people. The loving father explains that however late they may come and however terrible their sins may be, what matters is that they were lost and now are found. This ties then in very closely with the moral sense. One moral sense of the parable of the prodigal son, which we have expounded on in past years, and I will mention a bit more in the conference downstairs, is that it signifies very clearly all of the necessary steps for the sacrament of penance. We see in the life of the prodigal son this process. After his sin, we see his examination of conscience. We see the development of at least some contrition for his sin, to contrition which it seems develops as he begins to make his return to the Father, then his confession, and finally his forgiveness. St. Ambrose, though, preaching today, wishes to concentrate on one particular theme, one particular moral element, which is a wonderful way to begin our retreat. As I mentioned to you earlier this week, St. Ambrose commented extensively not only on the New Testament but also on the Old, especially on the patriarchs of the book of Genesis. And so Ambrose certainly commented on the story of Jacob and Esau. It is thus very noteworthy what he has to say about these personages. So often do we consider the deception, so it seems, of Jacob, what he does here, and question the moral element there, of just what sort of a lie did he tell? Was it truly a deception, or is there something more mysterious at work? Was he right to do what he did? And less often do we consider how Esau even came to this end. For earlier in the story of Jacob and Esau, we are told that Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, simply for a pot of porridge. He had come back from a long day of hunting, and he was hungry. And so Jacob, yes, quite connivingly, offered him the food he had just prepared in exchange for his birthright, to which Esau very blithely responded, well, I'm about to die of hunger anyway. What good is a birthright to me? Give me my food. And as we find it in our English Bibles, very dryly expressed, thus did Esau despise his birthright. Looking at it in that fashion, we see the parallel then between Esau and the prodigal son. What does it mean, in fact, and this is truly what St. Ambrose considers today, what does it mean for him to ask for his portion of the inheritance? What would that mean for us today? 
to approach our own Father here on earth and say, I want all my inheritance now. What pain would this cause our earthly Father to hear such words? It would be tantamount to saying to our Father, as far as I'm concerned, you might as well be dead. Truly, we despise the birthright we have been freely given by our loving Father when we forsake the way of justice and embrace the way of sin. And for what? If we consider the spiritual combat we are undergoing during this time of Lent in order to obtain an eternal crown, what does it mean to set all that aside, to care nothing for that, but to labor instead simply for the petty medals that we can have from this life, to despise the birthright we have, being made adopted children of God, being made heirs to heaven by our baptism, to despise all that simply for some temporal goods, to say, yes, I understand that it's all well and good, but I would rather have my pleasure now. Truly that is tantamount to saying to our eternal Father, as far as I'm concerned, you might as well not even exist. It is important for us to take the time to dwell on this consideration this morning if we wish to obtain, thanks to this short retreat, an increase of true contrition. For if we consider the case of the prodigal son, we see that so mired he is in his sins that his initial response to his misery is far from being one of true contrition. Indeed, it is not even imperfect contrition. At the beginning, he is sorry only for the fact that he is in a state of misery, of material misery, right here and now. It is only on his long journey home that he begins to develop first some measure of imperfect contrition, to realize, yes, what I have done will inherit for me a just punishment from my father. I deserve to be nothing more than one of his slaves. But then when he finally sees his father, and his father, far from scowling at him, runs out to embrace him lovingly, we can well believe, although it is not clearly expressed in the text, that his words are quite sincere. When he then, seeing his father, and no doubt with tears in his eyes, exclaims, Father, I have sinned against heaven before thee. I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Yes, truly, by our mortal sins, we must say the same. We are no longer worthy to be called children of God. Yet we have confidence in the promises of Christ that a humble and contrite heart he will never despise and that he will not disown us. No, the adoption which he freely gave us by his grace, one on the cross, is not something he will take from any heart that humbly repents today. Let us close then by making our, our own once more those words when we implore the gift of tears that we may have that true compunction of tears which the saints so lovingly express in their writings and so dearly long for. Almighty and most gentle God, who didst cause a fountain of living water to gush from the rock in order to quench the thirst of thy people, draw from our hardened hearts tears of compunction that we may be able to mourn for our sins and merit their forgiveness from thy mercy. 
Through Christ our Lord. Amen.